alive. It's alive. It's alive. Worth the dime or waste of time? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. With Ricky and James. Hold on to your butt. We only have a few rules on this podcast, but the biggest and most important is not to feed Ricky or me after midnight. You won't like the result. That is also the most important rule for this episode's movie, Gremlins. The 1984 hit was written by Chris Columbus, who also is known for writing the screenplay for The Goonies and directing the first two Harry Potter films. It was produced by Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy. The film mixes elements of both horror and comedy to take us on an adventure directed by Joe Dante. Welcome to Worth a Dime or Waste of Time. My name is James. Joining me is my co-host Ricky. Ricky, I know you're excited for this episode's movie. I am indeed. First things first, let's talk about our history with the film. Ricky, when was the first time you saw Gremlins? Oh my goodness. I was a little kid. Probably way too little to watch it, honestly. And how many times have you seen it since then? I've seen it, oh, at least a good dozen. For me, this was actually my first time watching it. I know when we were deciding on a movie for this episode, you were a little surprised that I hadn't seen it before. It's been out for 35 years. I'm 29 years old. I've had plenty of time to watch this movie, but for some reason... Your whole life. (laughs) I have. I really have. But for some reason or another, I just haven't watched it. It's been on my list for so long on Netflix. It had been on there, but I just decided not to watch it for one reason or another. And finally, we were in the Halloween month of October, and I decided we needed to do something horror. I'm not a big horror guy. I don't want to watch anything too scary. But Gremlins has a PG rating. It's horror comedy. So I thought that that would be a good one. And finally, I got to watch it. I'm excited. Excited to hear what you thought about it. Now we'll jump into the budget and box office numbers for Gremlins. This film had a reported budget of $11 million, and in its first weekend in theaters, it grossed $12 million domestically. It ended up having a $148 million domestic gross in 1984 and has a lifetime gross of $153 million. That makes Gremlins the number four grossing movie for the year of 1984 behind Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, another horror comedy movie, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That was a good year for movies, man. It was. There were some solid films, 1984, and Gremlins being up there, and that's a good collection of movies to be in. For the combination of horror and comedy movies, Gremlins is number three in that category all time, with box office numbers unadjusted for inflation, behind Ghostbusters, which also came out in 1984, and Scary Movie. Gremlins did have a sequel, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, which only ended up grossing $41 million domestically. I did not go on and watch Gremlins 2, The New Batch. I don't know. Have you seen that movie? I have. It's good. Is it as good as the first one? I'd say so, and a fun fact is that the director, Joe Dante, actually liked the second one better than the first one. Did he? Okay. It was really good. You should definitely give it a watch. Let's go ahead now and talk about the plot of the movie. It starts out with us meeting Randall Peltzer, who is traveling and finds himself in Chinatown. He goes into an antique shop, trying to both sell his wacky inventions and try and find a Christmas present for his son, Billy. He discovers a cute and cuddly creature called a mogwai. When Randall tries to buy it, the store owner refuses. As Randall leaves, the owner's grandson sells him the Mogwai without his grandfather knowing. Now, right off the bat, I do have to say the movie opens with narration, and I wasn't a big fan of that narration. I don't really know why we needed that narration, and it's not like it continues on for a long time. It's only a couple of sentences. It's Randall Peltzer telling us about who he is and what he's doing, but we get all that in the first scene anyway. He starts out, and he says his name, that he has a story to tell, his occupation, that he's an inventor, and the location he's in, Chinatown. 
But in the first scene where he's talking to the antique shop owner, he already says his name. He says his occupation, that he's an inventor because he's trying to sell one of his inventions. And of course, it's a story to tell. We're watching a movie. We don't need to know that he has a story to tell. And (laughs) most people could probably discern that they're in Chinatown by the look of the location that they're shooting at. It's funny. You're absolutely right, because it was unnecessary. But it's funny because my note is that it's the 80s and I love the old style narration that they had. It's not so much that it was necessary, but it's just the way that he talked, the way he said stuff and just the feel of it another thing was it's kind of a weird place for him to go and look for a christmas present for his son to go to a chinese antique shop i don't know a lot of young kids that are just raving about old antiques from a china shop that they got from their parents yeah but you do see later when we see the first glimpse of the house right inside the doorway are the old chinese swords they could be a family that's into that sort of thing i suppose yeah if you just look at stuff kind of around the house, you see some old antique stuff like that. Now, I do agree it is kind of a random weird place, but it's another one of those things that fits the plot. Sure. There we learn that there are three rules to Mogwai. Look, mister, there's three rules you've got to follow. Yeah, what kind of rules? Keep him out of the light. He hates bright light, especially sunlight. It'll kill him. And keep him away from water. Don't get him wet. But the most important rule, the rule you can never forget... No matter how much he cries, no matter how much he begs, never, never feed him after midnight. Oh, man. It's funny. I'm just looking at my notes and each of them is just like, <laughs> you know, they wrote them rules just so we could break them. You know, it's That's, just like yeah. it's fun you know, what's thinking about next. them. Like, what is each one of those going to do? Obviously, the first one, they say that they don't like the light, especially the sunlight. It's, you know, it's bad for them. It'll hurt them or whatever. So, you know, with that one, but then you don't know what the other two are. But, you know, sometime they're going to come into play. Each rule kind of gets progressively more ridiculous. It's like, keep them away from the sunlight. You know, that makes sense. Some creatures don't like sunlight. They're nocturnal. They're used to the nighttime. They're not used to daytime. Makes sense. Keep them away from water. Okay, yeah, that one's a little weirder than the first rule. It is weird because... Get it, I guess. And don't feed them after midnight. What what kind of creature is this? Why would there be a rule for that? Why can't you feed them after midnight? So here's my thing. One is, can't get them wet. even says, don't give them any water. Like, he can't drink it. So that's an interesting creature that doesn't drink anything. First of all, let it slide but then like don't feed after midnight my issue with this is i was sitting here thinking about it so every moment's after midnight they don't specify when you can start feeding them again is it at daybreak is it when they I wake had up that same thought you know what i mean like every moment is after midnight if you really think about it so when i did kind of have that same thought i kind of dismissed it because it just didn't seem that important to me yeah, i, I no, was going to try and rack my brain about when exactly can these creatures eat when is yeah. it going to be okay i didn't have a problem with any of the rules they're fun but i just kind of thought it was interesting the progression that it's keep them away from bright lights keep them away from water and then don't feed them after midnight it just gets weirder and weirder as the rules go Yeah, I want to back up a minute and just talk about the guy's inventions, like the bathroom buddy and stuff like that. It's beyond ridiculous, but it's hilarious. And it's just, it's totally the 80s. Like, there was so many things like that in the 80s. How does this family survive, though? How does this family have any money? This guy is a terrible inventor. And I think that the mom is a stay-at-home mom. How do they have any money? I think that he's a good salesman. I think he's a terrible inventor, but he's a good salesman. He did kind of seem like he was smooth, like he knew how to talk to people. But his yeah. inventions, anytime he demonstrated them to people, they, it's not like <laughs> they seemed like they, they should impress anyone. I wouldn't be impressed right. by that. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous, but it, it just made me laugh. We're then introduced to Randall's son, Billy, who works as a bank teller along with his co-worker, Kate. While working, a grouchy old lady, Mrs. Deagle, comes to the bank and informs Billy that his dog, Barney, ruined a Christmas decoration of hers. She threatens his dog and says she will kill it if she catches it. 
this i'm not really big on the whole mrs deagle part of the movie i don't really she doesn't really serve the plot for the entirety of the movie i just feel like she could be thrown out of it i I don't know that she is integral to the plot enough to to keep her in there and she was almost over the top evil for me she says that if she catches the dog she's gonna do worse to it than if the pound catches it and puts it down she would put it in a dryer i'll take him to the kennel they'll put him to sleep It'll be quick and painless compared to what I could do to him. What could you do? I'll catch the beast myself. And you'll get what he deserves. A slow, painful death. Maybe I'll put him in my spin dryer on high heat. Again, that's just like, it's totally 80s. I agree, though. Like, she was so over-the-top ridiculous. In the old movies like this, there's scenes where you see a character and you absolutely know that you'll see them later. And you know in a certain way, like, you know later in this movie something bad's going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. Just She's by gonna instantly. Get what's coming to her. Yeah. I mean, they still do it today, but not nearly It, it to was kind of rewarding. To jump ahead a little bit, it was kind of rewarding to see what had happened to her eventually because she was so wicked in the beginning. But... She doesn't really serve the plot in any way. The only real satisfaction that we get and the only way that it pays off is the fact that we get to see what's coming to her at the end of the movie. And my thoughts is with Gremlins, they tinker with stuff. That invention that she's on later that we'll see, that was in the 80s. And I think somebody's like, well, wouldn't this be fun if this happened to somebody? And so they came up with this character just to do that. Oh, sure. And came back. You know what I mean? Like that was just kind of the feel I got with it. Randall returns home to his family and gives Billy his present of the Mogwai, which he is named Gizmo. I do have to say, for Gizmo, it kind of reminds me of a Furby. Do you remember the Furbies? The Furby craze of the 90s? I had a Furby, dude. I remember Furbies. Does Gizmo look a little bit like a Furby? Yeah, and I I think that was where they got the inspiration for Furbies, to be honest with you. I think. Yeah, I was trying to look into that and seeing if there was some sort of connection. I didn't find one, but for me, I sort of made that connection of Gizmo looks like a Furby, especially being a puppet. Let's talk about this quick. He's not actually a puppet. He's an animatronic. They do use some puppets. They yeah, do they, they did. And here's a little fun fact is that they didn't have much CGI at the time. So they built all of the gremlins, all of them animatronics and cost like 30 to 40,000 a piece. And when everybody would leave set, they would make them search their car to make sure that nobody was taking any of the animatronics because they cost so much. And you just think about how many were in that movie. That's one of the things, though, that I like about this movie so much was the creature design of both the Mogwai and then eventually the Gremlins. I like that they were animatronics. I like that some were puppets. Because if we got that movie today, it would absolutely be CGI. Almost all of it would be CGI. The ability for a character to hold and to be able to act against something that's actually there just adds a little bit more to the movie adds a little bit more to the believability of the movie for me so i really appreciated the fact that sometimes older movies they don't hold up but this is one aspect of the movie and i'm glad that it is older because of that absolutely i think they did amazing with the designs and just how they turned out you know and i agree with that with the cgi and versus the animatronics to have something to hold like that we gotta talk about how dang cute gizmo is Yes, that's that one thing that I had too. I is absolutely adorable, man. Gizmo. As a kid, as soon as you saw this movie, you wanted one. You absolutely wanted one of these things. You know? Maybe that's why they created the Furby. Then you could and have I your think own. I it is. I, really, I feel like there has to be some kind of connection to that. The next day, Billy's friend Pete comes over to drop off a Christmas tree. Pete is introduced to Gizmo, but spills water on him. The second rule, which, which spawns Corey Feldman, Mogwai, including a devious one nicknamed Stripe, who strings Barney the dog up with Christmas lights later that night. Now, this one, I was kind of going back and forth a little bit. 
the Mogwai aren't really supposed to be bad before they turn into gremlins. Yes. And Stripe is already bad. So that is one of my notes, too, that is like, it's one of the plot holes in it is like, why are they bullies already? Like, why, why are they naughty little things? Because right now yeah, they're Gizmo's, Mogwais. Gizmo's absolutely how he should be, how you would expect the creature to be, the polar opposite of a gremlin. Mm-hmm. But Stripe and, to a lesser extent, the other Mogwai that spawn from him when the water spilled on Gizmo, they're kind of devious, especially Stripe. Absolutely. They're nothing like when they turn into gremlins. I mean, they're way worse then. Oh, yeah, they're, absolutely way worse. But you could tell it was already on the landslide, I guess, but, pushing yeah. the plot along. That was definitely one of my little plot hole picks at it was like, why are they that way already? So now following this new development, Billy takes a mogwai to a school science teacher, Mr. Hansen. He drops some water on it to spawn another mogwai, which is left with the teacher so he can study it. Billy on his way home stops by the bar that Kate works at part time and walks her home. She expresses her disdain for the holiday season and Billy asks her on a date, which she says yes to. Yeah, speaking of holiday thing, is this a Christmas movie or Halloween movie? See, that was the big thing. When I picked this movie, I picked it because I'm not a big fan of horror, and I knew that this was a horror comedy mix, and it was rated PG, and I thought that it would be something that I could handle because I'm kind of a scaredy cat. I did not realize that it had a Christmas backdrop. I didn't realize that it was set around Christmas, but I don't know if I'd classify it as a Christmas movie the same way that I don't know if I'd classify Iron Man 3 as a Christmas movie just because it's set around Christmas time. Yeah, some people want to classify Die Hard as a Christmas movie. It has the backdrop of Christmas. It's set around Christmas. But is it really a Christmas movie? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if I would classify it as one. This movie did come out during the summer. I don't know if you could classify it as like a traditional Christmas movie. I certainly wouldn't. I think it could be watched any time during the year. Absolutely, man. It's a classic. You watch it anytime you want to. Mr. Hansen performs late night experiments on the Mogwai, but as he heads home, he leaves a sandwich in the reach of the creature, breaking rule three. Meanwhile, Billy feeds all his Mogwai except Gizmo after midnight due to his clock being stopped by the Mogwai, again breaking rule three. We find the next day that they have entered into a cocoon state. The Mogwai hatch from their cocoons into gremlins and immediately are trouble. Mr. Hansen's gremlin kills him and escapes, never to be seen from again. So, uh... I was thinking that same thing. I was like, we never saw him again. Did he get away? Did something happen? But I was just reading that Cameron, who was Joe Dante or Chris Columbus, one of them in an interview stated that he actually joined up with the other ones later and okay. ended up See, going yeah, down with the rest of them. I wasn't sure what had happened to him because he escapes. Then, as we're about to talk about, Billy heads home to find the other gremlins that are terrorizing his house. But we never find out exactly what happens to Mr. Hansen's gremlin. It's not explicitly stated. Yeah, it doesn't actually show that. So, yeah, it was kind of nice to read that because I was kind of wondering the same thing. Yeah, there's still one out there. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Meanwhile, Billy's mom fends off three gremlins before Billy gets home and kills a fourth. However, Stripe escapes. I did yes. like how Billy's mom was fending off these gremlins using kitchen appliances. It, w- it was a little graphic, seeing the gremlin in the mixing bowl and the mixer, and she Ooh. takes a knife to another one, and then one explodes in the microwave. But I like that. That made it a lot of fun. If, it, if she was just using normal weapons, a gun or a knife to try and defend herself, I think that it just wouldn't be as exciting. It wouldn't be as memorable. But because she uses those kitchen appliances and they die in such weird and wacky ways, it's memorable. It sticks out to me. 100% agree with that, man. It was, and like I said, it was way more graphic than I remember it being, especially like that scene in particular. I was like, holy cow, you should not let kids watch this. Why did my mom let me watch this? So speaking of that, before 1984, there was not a PG-13 rating. This movie is rated PG. When Gremlins came out and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out, 
it wasn't harsh enough to be rated an R, so it was rated PG, but then the Motion Picture Association of America saw these two movies, decided that there needed to be a rating between PG and R, and that's when we got PG-13. So if that rating had been there at the time, I think these movies definitely, both Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom and Gremlins, probably would have been rated PG-13 because they are a little graphic and a little much for kids. Yeah, wow, that's cool. Backing up, though, like another thing, just with the 80s, man, I, just, I love 80s movies. I'm such a geek about 80s movies and music and everything thing that era was so great but there's a scene when she's walking through the house looking for the gremlins after her son calls her and you see the moment when she looks around the corner all of a sudden you see the gremlin shadow on the wall and then it ducks down before she turns around you know and that was just classic 80s like suspense right there and i absolutely love that moment and then i have like all these notes about the crappy invention like gets the first kill i mean technically it was the mom and i was like mom one gremlin zero and then two to nothing and then three to nothing and four to nothing with an assist you know yeah, he takes a sword and kind of golf swings it into the fireplace, and that's another kind of wacky kill that I loved. It would be one thing to just kill him easily with a gun or with a knife, but that doesn't make it fun. That's what makes this movie yeah. fun, and that's the the sort of thing that stood out to me. And that's the thing I loved about the 80s. Like, you get that kind of stuff in a lot of 80s movies, even 90s movies, but I don't even feel like we get a lot of that today. This sort of over-the-top stuff stuck with me. The whole thing with Mrs. Deagle and being super grouchy and evil and being a witch, she was playing it way over the top, and that sort of thing didn't work with me. But with these killings of the gremlins, and then conversely, when the gremlins are running amok in the town, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and they're killing the humans, their kills are just as wacky as the kills that Billy's mom just had against the gremlins. And those sort of things I, I, I loved. I absolutely couldn't get enough. Yeah, and I mean, that just goes back to the 80s era. Like, as we progress through action, Acting, you know, from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and like 80s was big about overacting like that, really going over the top with what you're doing. I mean, that was just standard in the 80s a lot of times. I mean, even look at Indiana Jones, there was a lot of moments in those movies when it was just over the top, you know. And then you get to now, and we want this like serious Oscar, like Leonardo DiCaprio type acting, you know, instead of this over the top stuff, which this worked then. Now, if you release Gremlins today, the exact same movie, nobody would like it, I don't think. Yeah, it would be a very different movie like we were talking about before. It probably wouldn't be animatronics. It probably wouldn't be puppets. It'd be CGI. The feel of it would just be completely different. It's definitely a product of its time. But because of that, it's fun to go back and visit that time period. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Billy ends up tracking Stripe to the local YMCA, where the gremlin jumps into the pool, creating hundreds of new gremlins. They begin to terrorize the city while Billy tries to warn the police. Except the police don't believe him, and they're just drinking on the job. Not saying it was okay then, but I feel like that was an 80s thing. You could smoke, you could drink. You, I mean, technically, you were supposed to drink on the... It, it really was. It really, really was. And it's so funny about that, though. You're right. They didn't believe them. They were just drinking. It was the holidays. We next see a number of gremlins are drinking and partying at Kate's bar. Kate is able to escape the bar and meets up with Billy and Gizmo. They're able to hide and take refuge in the bank where they work, and we learn why Kate hates Christmas so much. It was Christmas Eve. I was nine years old. Me and Mom were, were decorating the tree, waiting for Dad to come home from work. A couple hours went by. Dad wasn't home. Mom called the office. No answer. Christmas Day came and went, and still nothing. So the police began a search. Four or five days went by. Neither one of us could eat or sleep. Everything was falling apart. It was snowing outside. The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire. And that's when I noticed the smell. The firemen came and broke through the chimney top. And me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. 
And instead, they pulled out my father. He was dressed in a Santa Claus suit. He'd been climbing down the chimney on Christmas Eve, his arms loaded with presents. He was going to surprise us. He slipped and broke his neck, died instantly. And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. <laughs> this part I have to bring up. This is so weird. This is a really weird part. I don't understand why this is in the movie. And I was doing some reading on it because it was so weird and I didn't understand it and I wanted to understand it. And apparently executives of this movie when it was being made absolutely hated this scene. They couldn't tell if it was trying to be a genuine moment or if it was comedy. And I can't either. I really don't know about this moment. It's so weird. Why is this in the movie? It serves like no point. Why does she need to have something to where she doesn't like Christmas? And then we get this weird story about her dad like slipping and breaking his neck and being stuck in the chimney. And she doesn't know about it until she goes and lights the chimney later thinking it's like a dead cat or something but nope it's her father he's dead and he's in the chimney that's dude i have like the exact same note i'm like weird santa dad story not sure how i feel about that and then i also went and i saw that factoid about i think it was actually spielberg was the one who didn't want it he didn't want it in the movie yeah he but didn't then like he spielberg a- didn't like it either but he was giving joe dante discretion for what he decided was acceptable to be in his movie if he wanted to cut it he was going to allow him to cut it but joe dante wanted to keep it so it ended up being in the movie and it's really weird it doesn't need to be in the movie absolutely for real that was to me the weirdest scene i don't understand it why is why is this even here i was watching it with my fiance and i turned to her and i just said what is happening what what did i just watch why that was why she didn't like christmas (laughs) right that's so weird man i gotta back up though the old lady on the lift, Miss Deagle. She went yes. outside, saw them Christmas caroling. I love these little gremlins. They're just doing all this hilarious stuff, like dressing up like carolers, singing. And then she goes back in. The one tinkered with her chairlift. Yeah, it just like launches her out the second story window. It was kind of weird to see Mrs. Deagle. Like at the beginning of the movie, I didn't know why she was in this movie, what purpose she was going to serve. The only real purpose that she serves is the fact that later we end up seeing the gremlins terrorize her with that chairlift. And she's launched out of her window right in front of the cop car that pulls up right in front of her house. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's what I was saying. Like, you know, sometimes when you see a character like her, especially over the top, you're going to get to a scene like this. I remember that. That always stuck with me my entire life from first seeing it. I remember every time I see one of those those chairlift things, I think of this scene from Gremlins every single time. Just like we saw earlier with Billy's mom having the wacky fun kills, then the Gremlins, they have it with the chairlift with Mrs. Deagle. They have it with the snowplow with the town drunk. So there's a lot of inventive new ways that this movie shows that uh, Gremlins and humans can fight amongst themselves and, and kill each other. Yeah. And man, the bar scene when Kate is trapped in there, like serving them, I was dying the whole time. They were so funny, like the little jazz dude on the side who's like, I don't know, maybe a mobster or something. And then you got the dude doing the flash dance, the little gremlin doing the flash dance. And then uh, and then like the part when she's just getting out there taking the pictures because she realized that the light bothered him. And the one who's like the burglar or whatever you want to call him, like trying to stop her from leaving. (laughs) As soon as he showed up, I just died laughing. It was the best. Billy and Kate step outside and see all the gremlins are gone. They've discovered that they've all gone to the movie theater to watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. With all the gremlins in one place, Billy and Kate set off an explosion to kill them. Now, when they step out of the bank, I actually really enjoyed the music that was playing. There was this really eerie, creepy rendition of Silent Night. And I love the soundtrack for this movie. I thought it was really good. But particularly that moment when the streets are clear, everything's quiet after all the chaos has settled down. They're wondering where all the gremlins have gone, what's happening now. And you just hear that really eerie, creepy rendition of Silent Night I thought was 
a really good touch. It was very ominous. I, I, I actually remember that song as well. There was a couple of key moments of music. Usually I'm not a music kind of guy that, that doesn't pop out to me, but that was one of them as well that did for me. Unfortunately for Billy and Kate, Stripe is still alive. He had left the movie theater and he is the one gremlin remaining. They follow him to a retail store where Billy fights the gremlin. Stripe tries to create more gremlins with a running water fountain in the store. Gizmo races to the rescue and he opens a window blind to kill Stripe. I do have to say, though, when Billy is in the retail store and he's fighting Stripe, Stripe takes a chainsaw to him and Billy is defending himself with a bat (laughs) for like a really long time. And I feel like that chainsaw should absolutely have gone through that bat. I don't know how Billy is alive. It's it went on for way too long for that bat to still hold up and the chainsaw to have not gone through it. I legitimately have a note about that as well. And, you know, I used to work for a tree service. So let me tell you. That was a really crappy chainsaw if it could not cut through that bat in like 0.2 seconds. <laughs> like that was, it was ridiculous, that part. I was like, what is going on? I don't even care that it was an electric one that you plug in. There's a part where he's throwing, like, sh- first he's shooting baseballs at him, hitting him, and then he starts throwing saw blades. This is right before the chainsaw thing. He's throwing, like, circular saw blades at him that stick in the wall. <laughs> I was like, I may or may not have practiced throwing saw blades after watching Stripe do this. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> like, in Gr- Gremlins 2, we probably won't do that. So there's a part where Gizmo makes a crossbow out of like a paperclip and a rubber band. Okay. Always stuck with me, and I've tried to do that so many times. Every time I see a paperclip and rubber band, that's what I do. Back to Gizmo. So cute. Comes in and saves the day. Yeah, because he's really just been kind of on the back burner. He's been with him in like the backpack, but you see him here and there. But now he's kind of getting back in the action. He ends up being the hero at the end of the day. Yeah, and he like ramps the shovel. That was kind of funny. The scene when Stripe dies, that was very graphic and very dramatic. Like how he jumps out at the end, even still like bones and stuff. Yeah. Now that Stripe and all the gremlins are gone, we see the Peltzer family back home. The elderly Chinatown store owner from the beginning of the movie shows up at their house and demands Gizmo back after his grandson had sold him behind his back. He does tell Billy that maybe someday he'll be ready to care for the Mogwai. Yeah, he gives this lesson. What does he say? He's like, you do with Mogwai what your society has done with all of nature's gifts. That kind of hit, you know, it kind of hit home, like seeing what we are as a society. And I think that was part of the message. Kind of remind me of the Lorax, too. Sure. Let's discuss our favorite scenes in the film. Ricky, which one stood out to you? It's pretty hard to pick just one. The Gremlins killed it in the bar, like I talked about, and at the theater. We didn't really talk about that, but they were absolutely hilarious at the theater watching Snow White and trying to make the movie actually work and just messing it all up. It was just absolutely hilarious for me. But two other scenes have stuck with me my whole life, and that's one with Miss Deagle and the flight from her chair thing. And in battle in the department store... Just with the whole like gizmo jumping in the car and doing the whole lights thing or with the sun. But I think I might give it to Deagle flying through the air just because of the sheer insanity and how ridiculous it was. It's always nice to see somebody get their just desserts. Yeah. Now, for me, it's Billy's mom killing the gremlins. Are you talking about the gremlins and their kind of wacky kills with Miss Deagle flying from the chairlift? But for me, it's Billy's mom killing the gremlins. This movie, the killings in it are absolutely wacky and they're a lot of fun. She uses a mixer like we talked about, a kitchen knife and a microwave to kill three gremlins at her home. And the use of the appliances as a weapon, they're so it's so unexpected, but it's a lot of fun. So I love that scene. Like I talked about, if she had only used a knife or a gun to defend herself, that scene is forgettable. We don't really remember it, but because she used those appliances, what she had available to her and just not what you would expect, 
it made it more entertaining. So true. I'd probably have to put that on my list too. That was another great standout moment. It was just over the top ridiculous and it was a great comedy moment and just this year ago, one and oh, two and oh, three and oh, just like knocking them out left and right, you know, because you come into that moment thinking, Oh man, they're they're tearing up what Mr. Hansen and he scratched up uh Billy and all this stuff. You think, Oh, the mom's just this defenseless little woman, you know, and all of a sudden she's just tearing them up left and right. Next, we'll go with who stood out in the movie for me. And honestly, the scene sealer for me was Gizmo. The actors and actresses in this film I thought were fine. They did an okay job. But Gizmo had my focus every time he was on screen. He was adorable. He was lovable. So for a second, I kind of wish that I could have a Mogwai. And then I realized I'm not responsible enough for that. It would probably just turn out like how Billy had a Mogwai. <laughs> but I, I loved going back. And we talked about it a little bit. But I love going back to a time where everything wasn't CGI. I love the use of the animatronics and the puppets in this movie. And I really just, it, it felt a little bit more real to me. I love that. And I think that's why I appreciated and I enjoyed Gizmo every time he's on screen even more first of all how dare you say phoebe cates is just fine she was every dude's dream back in the 80s she did a fine job but she did have that speech about her dad slipping and breaking his neck okay, and she okay. was dressed as santa claus and she didn't find him until days later when she started a fire and so i couldn't give it to her okay that's not really her fault that's the writing it's not her that's the writing of the movie but that scene just I still can't argue. it was so <laughs> weird that i just couldn't get over that for her part that she played so uh mine again I'm really hard at picking just one of anything a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, there were some iconic actors in there that I like, like Phoebe Cates and Judd Reinhold, seeing them. And But um, Gizmo definitely stole the show with his cuteness. And then the Gremlins also did it with uh, how hilarious and ridiculous they were. It was not a dull moment with them or with even uh, Gizmo, you know? Like, he was absolutely adorable, and you're right. That's so true. We probably couldn't handle the three rules ourselves as much as we might want him. That's why we'll just stick to the Furbies that don't have rules. <laughs> the Furbies, right? Finally, we'll wrap things up by giving our verdict for if it's worth a dime or a waste of time. Gremlins does sit at an 84% for positive reviews from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and has a 78% audience score on that website. Ricky, I'm going to you first. What do you say? First of all, I got to say that though I'm disappointed in those numbers and that it may only have an 84% and a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, for me, despite any plot holes or any off scenes, it's 100% worth the dime. Whether it's your first time or 100th time seeing it, it's fun, quirky, and equal parts out of this world, amazing and ridiculously over the top. It's been a good while since I had seen it, but I'll definitely be watching it several more times in my lifetime. Yeah, I'm also saying that Gremlins is worth the dime. This was my first time watching the movie, and I did have a good time doing so. Again, I love the look of the creatures. I love the use of the puppets and the animatronics not everything in the film worked for me like we talked about mrs deagle was a little too over the top for me she didn't really serve the plot kate's story about why she hated christmas was really weird it felt like it came completely out of left field but those things i can let them go because i had a lot of fun with this movie absolutely basically hits a nail on the head it, it wasn't perfect by any means like there was these little weird scenes like that but it was wonderful in all sense. That's going to do it for Worth the Dime or Waste of Time. Ricky, thank you for joining me as always. I'm always happy to be here, James. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on Worth the Dime or Waste of Time. Yeah.